Please join me in taking up your Bibles. Returning them to the book of Hebrews, the latter section of the New Testament. So we've been studying through this great book, verse by verse. We started in chapter 1, verse 1, and we now find ourselves in chapter 12. And I'll begin reading again in verse 1, though the verses for treatment this morning are 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, but I want you to feel the whole context before we begin with the message. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, please follow along as I read. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there? whom a father does not chasten. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me this morning? Lord God, we entreat you this morning to help us with your word. And by doing so, help us with our lives into which you bring the necessary hand of chastening, of punishment for correction, of the training that you have designed for each one of us. In our pain and in our rebellion, Lord, use these tools of yours to draw us to yourself back into the right path. And Lord, give us a spirit of thanksgiving that we have such a God who would do such a thing as to call us back from our unrighteousness and to use every means to get our attention, lest we die. We thank you for this, Lord, and ask your help from the preacher to the pew. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.
How to Run the Faith Race is the series. I've entitled this chapter 12 that follows upon the heels of the faith chapter wherein we had a review of so many great stalwarts of Christian faith. And I say Christian for all we're looking forward to Christ. The Old Testament all the way back to Abel, those of faith, along with Noah, Abraham, all the way to today, there have been those who have stood by faith and they're highlighted in chapter 11. They lived lives and many of them are recorded for us in the Bible so that we can see that they did not run on an easy path as we might think, but their paths were difficult. And even they were brought back in by the chastening of the Lord to greater faith. Here in chapter 12, we learn ourselves how to run the faith race, and we're encouraged to, in the first place, get ready to run this race. We are not given an option as believers to walk. We're given the command to run. Verse 1, it says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before you. So as soon as you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, your feet have been set on the track of life and the gun has gone off and it's time to start running. Certainly you will run with greater swiftness as you mature and learn and grow on how to do that. And that readiness was there for us, even looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. He ran first. And I say first in the sense of the priority. He was the first who actually ran superbly and completely by faith as our example, even enduring the final test, that test of sacrificial death, not a death that he deserved, not a punishment that was meted out like normal men might suffer, for certainly men have died on crosses. But he was the one who suffered the shame of the cross as a criminal, though he was none, but he also took on himself the very wrath of God and knew what real death was, separation from God, as God turned his back on him and he proclaimed, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? None of you and none of the others that we studied in chapter 11 ever faced any such thing. And so he is our priority example. He endured. Running takes endurance. Certainly there are times in the Christian life when you need and must need sprint. But in truth, the run and running the race as a Christian is a marathon, not 5K, not 10K, not even 26 miles. It's from day one till the last day of your life. And so now we're looking at the second of the four fundamentals for reaching the finish line in the faith race, and that is to be trainable. First, you have to be ready to run. Then you need to be trainable. Coaches, when they are looking at their athletes, those who are selected for their team or for the first team, they are gauged on the basis of their ability first. Can they do it? Do they have the resources, the physical abilities, the mental abilities to take on this 
race, if you will. But also, and secondly, and even more important than their abilities, is their trainability. Their trainability. Are they teachable? You can take the greatest athlete in the world who has with him the greatest pride in the world, for he knows he's good and fast, and he knows he's smart, and sometimes he thinks he's smarter than his coach. And in that pride, he learns nothing and never gains a step. He only has ability. He doesn't have teachability, so he will never mature, and he will eventually fall on his face. We are to consider him who endured such hostility from sinners. We are to pay attention lest we become weary because running is tiresome. Amen? We all start out the Christian life in the bloom of a sprint and we think we're going to sprint to the end. Amen? Woohoo! We're going to settle this thing for the Lord right now. We're going to get the gospel out. We don't even really need help then. We're just ready to go. I've been saved. I want to tell everybody, I've been saved. Listen to me. And then you run and you run and you run and you realize, wait a minute. This is harder than I thought. I'm getting a little tired here. So we need to be trainable so that we can mature and have the endurance to run to the end. Last week we looked at the first of five keys to trainability. Five keys to trainability so that we may learn to be trainable and finish with maturity in this race. Last week we looked at these two of five. First, realize your potential. Realize your potential. If you're going to be trainable, first you've got to believe that you have potential. And we find that potentiality for us in verse 4. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed. And where is the potential? It's right there. Not yet. So you're being trained, but you've not yet had to endure to bloodshed, meaning your very death. You haven't resisted sin that much, so you have the potential to run even harder than you think, even unto death, even unto martyrdom. You can't see it now, but God, your coach, can. And so he says you have potential. You need to realize your potential in the not yet. And then secondly, we studied last week, remember your position. Your position. This kind of goes to your potential in, in some ways as well because your identification on this team that you run in, having received, if you will, by way of illustration, the baton from all those who have gone before you running the faith race, that you are now on this team, and it's more than a team, it's a family, look at verse 5, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. Your position is a son, is a daughter, if you approve of, of that, if you think I'm being somehow discriminatory, I am not. It's simply when I say man and mankind, I mean you girls too. All of you together are runners. You're in the family of God. Realize your position as sons, and we looked at do not despise the chastening of the Lord, which comes to us from Proverbs, a quotation in the Old Testament. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, and then secondly, do not be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. 
It is very easy in our pride to say, why me, Lord? Why are you making my life hard? Why are you punishing me? This isn't fair. And despise the Lord. Or to compare ourselves to others, why aren't you punishing them? We're always better at judging others' lives than our own. I don't even need an amen for that. I'm just going to register one up here. A hearty amen. Do not be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. Who has ever been punished in your family? And if you've never been punished, this is going to be a hard lesson for you to walk with Christ. But of those of you who've been punished by your fathers in your family, were you ever just a wee bit discouraged afterwards? Oh, yeah, you're going to treat me like that? Then I don't even care. That's what you're going to do. Do my own thing, so there. I know none of you talk like that, and it's only me mentioning that, that you realize that someone may have said those words and I overheard them. Or maybe used them. To be discouraged when you're rebuked. A rebuke is saying, you know what, you weren't right. You were wrong. You need to be corrected. So your position as sons is not to despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged. And now on to our new study. We need to accept chastening as a sign of God's love. Boy, here we get deep into faith. You want to know the faith race? Here it is. Here it is. Accept chastening as a sign of God's love, verse 7. Oh, excuse me, verse 6. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. That's a categorical statement. There's no way around it. Many people say, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. You know what you need to ask is, does Jesus love you? Does he love you with a redeeming love? Has he known you with a covenant love? And then he's pouring out on you his love. And one of the evidences of his love is that he chastens those whom he loves. He punishes them. You need to accept chastening as a sign of God's love if you are trainable. If you're trainable, you realize the good coach, the good father is training you and pointing out your errors is a means to training you to maturity, to be a better runner. We have to embrace it as an essential of sonship. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood, chastened by Jesus, because I know he loves me. Pastor, that isn't in the hymn. I know. Maybe it should be. That's how I know he loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The Bible just told you he chastens those whom he loves. Now you know. This is love. Prevention is part of the chastening love, and correction is part of the chastening love. When a child is small and crawling around, if you have a stairway in your house, parents, what did you do to that stairway when you had toddlers toddling? Most of you put one of them little baby gates 
in front of the stairway, right? I remember a time. See, I've got a big distance, a gap in the family that I was raised in. There was Linda, Antonia, Fred, me, Greg up there. Then there was 13 years, then Heinz, two years, Zach, three years, Isaac. I'll never forget Zach. He was in one of these things that kids learn to walk in. They called him a hula coop. It was round, supposed to be safe. And we had a, a basement in our house, and you were always supposed to close the door when you came up the stairs or down. But there were teenagers and pre-teenagers, moi, and somebody didn't close the door, and little Zach, well, he gave that hula coop a test. He went to that stairway, and we all heard his he rode that thing three quarters of the way down and didn't even fall over. But I'm telling you what, there was sort of an eruption in the house. My German father was not too happy about that. And after that, that door that went to the basement was split in half. And the bottom half got hinges with springs on them. You go up and down, but it's going to close on its own. No more hula coop rides to the bottom. And Zach's life was restricted. He was prevented from going where it was dangerous by an obstacle. That's how we have to think of God's chastening, that he is protecting us from ourselves. He got away with it once. He might think he can get away with it again, just like you in your Christian walk. Well, he didn't catch me that time. <laughs> Guess it's okay. No, God will chasten those whom he loves for protection and for correction. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12, we read these words of wisdom from Solomon. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Just as a father, the son in whom he delights, he, create, he corrects his loved ones. Again in Proverbs, later in the book, chapter 13, verse 24, these words are wisely given to us again. He who spares his rod, listen to this, hates his son. Number one, we're in a new generation. I may need to define what a rod is. Some of you kids here may not have ever been acquainted with one. I hope you have. But God isn't mincing his words. He knows what he's using. This is a wooden stick designed for corporal punishment, meaning on you it hurts. Swung by your parent. Because you were caught doing wrong. Can I have an amen? Our society tells us that that's an evil. That that's an abuse. Our Bible tells us this is a form of hatred that the world is foisting on us, pushing into our families to stop us from using corporal punishment to train our children towards maturity. 
Why are there so many immature children out there today who think they are cats and dogs and not children? Why are there so many children in schools beating up their teachers? And they're doing that, didn't you know? And abusing even their parents physically, violently, stealing, robbing, cheating, and killing. When you see those mash, dash and grab films on your television, on your phones, are those old people running in? Those aren't old people. That's a generation of young people who think they can smash the windows of stores, run in and steal things, and it's okay. And our society's teaching them that if they're arrested, they're immediately turned free and they can just do it again because they didn't steal $900 worth so they can go free. What's going on? Somebody's been hating on their children. And they bought the lie of love and changed it into the lie of hate. He who spares his rod hates his son. This isn't me, folks. It'd be easier for me to just be up here and be like the Beatles. Love, love, love. Bump, 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 love. No, that's not. All you need is, is this kind of love. But he who loves his son disciplines him, listen, disciplines him promptly. Not later, now. Kids are like dogs or horses. They forget what they did wrong really quick unless you impress it upon them that that was wrong. Otherwise, they take it as what? License. They're pushing the boundary. You know, as soon as you tell your kid, don't step across that line, what do they do? Like, they start balancing along the edge of it. And then if you're not there, they go, boop. Boop. I went in, I went out. Ha ha. Oh, did he do that in church? This is church, folks. This is love, folks. You know, so often we can be of two minds. You know, we sing some choruses sometimes, and, we, and they're biblical even. Mold me. Make me. Make me like unto you, Lord Jesus. And then, ow! Oh! Don't do that. That hurts. What do you mean I'm wrong? Stop that, Lord. It hurts when he corrects us, but that's love. God understands how to train us better than we understand how to train ourselves. Amen? Listen to this from Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. We're fine with that, aren't we? Well, let me tell you, this is a repentant psalm by David when he was caught in sin and was corrected. Look at verse 3. He says, when I was silent, my bones grew old. 
He means this, when I was hiding my sin and not confessing it to the Lord, not repenting it to the Lord, my bones, my physicality grew old. It was like as a young man, I felt old. I was wasting away before God. It was killing me. Through my groaning all the day long. And that's the way it is, isn't it? Because you know, especially if you're a Christian, you're a son. And you're walking in sin. It's hanging on you all the time, isn't it? It's like those weights you put on your feet so you can run faster. And walk like Frankenstein. And you're dragging the things around like a ball and chain all the time. What's wrong with you? Oh, nothing, nothing. I'm fine, I'm fine. And the reality is you've got unrepentant sin, unconfessed sin, and the chastening of the Lord is on you even in your physicality. Every time you read your Bible, you get hit with it. And then you read this, how similar to our lives. Verse 4, David says, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I'm drying up like dust over here. And then he uses this word in the Hebrew, so we will stop and think. He says, Selah. Think on this. He goes on in verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you. That's the first step in handling the chastening of the Lord in a trainable way. We have to say, God the Father was right. My coach was right. I am wrong. Can we say things like that? Are we teaching our children to say things like that? You who need to be disciplined promptly, you should be thanking your parents. Boy, thanks, Dad. You put that licking on me right away. Nobody's ever said that, have you? But you will when you're older. When you're actually mature, you'll go back to your parents. You'll say, thank you for disciplining me. I so needed that then. So you can learn. I acknowledge my sin to you, David says, and my iniquity I have not hidden. Full confession. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And listen, and you forgave me the iniquity of my sin. See how it is? Just say it. He knows it. You know it. Say it. Deal with it. Go on. We can't lose sight in this culture that tells us that the training of our children, the training of ourselves is hate. It's actually love. We have to accept it as love. Also, as sons, we need to accept the scourging is that scourging is a sign of God's acceptance, of God's acceptance. Look at now the latter part of verse 6. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and, listen, scourges every son whom he loves. Well, first pastor had the rod. Now we got the whip. I didn't put this in the Bible. God did. This is literally, the scourge means to whip or to flog. I don't know. This might be too much, huh? God's saying this is a sign of acceptance. Listen to how he says it. Every son whom he receives... Whom he receives means it's equal to his acceptance. If he's accepted you, this will happen to you. 
Because God is faithful. He has not been affected by our culture, contrary to popular belief in some churches. But we need to let our church culture be affected only by him. That this is a blessing to know that you're accepted. We need to be encouraged that this means he cares and that his punishment, his correction, is to motivate us as children to run the faith race, and he will even do it on a national grand scale to bring us all to a level of understanding. Even in Israel, there was a prophet of Israel named Habakkuk. Habakkuk. He was perplexed by his day. He was living in a day like ours, and in Israel, particularly Judah, he was looking around himself and he couldn't believe that God was seeming to allow such blatant sin against him, perpetrated by his own people, called by his name, without any apparent consequences. The prophet's sent there to prophesy, and he does, and the people aren't changing. And he's asking, well, why is this happening? He's almost asking, why did you send me to correct them? They're not being corrected. And in the, even in the very first chapter, we get a hint of what God's going to do in answering Habakkuk's question. In the first chapter of Habakkuk, verse 12, we're just going to read that one. You should read the whole book, but... We'll just give you this one for today. Habakkuk then proclaims, Are you not from everlasting to everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. First he says, We shall not die. We shall not completely perish from the earth. You have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. Do you know what form this correction is going to take? The empire of Babylon is going to come and put them all into captivity, known as the chastening hand of the Lord. He scourges those whom he receives. You're my people, called by my name. I will correct you. Is there anything in your mind, Christian, that would tell you you can blatantly go against what God said is his way, his law, his righteousness, and say, no, I can go my own way and do my own thing and know I'm a Christian and received by him and God never chasten you. God never scourge you. Then you don't have it. Even in the prophet Micah chapter 7, we find this rebellious people, Judah, being comforted before they have been punished. You know, there was an old thing parents used to say before they would come in to spank their child. They would say something to the child like this, oh honey, this is going to hurt me way more than it hurts you. And what is every kid in that situation thinking in their head? That's a lie! We're thinking that's going to hurt me a whole lot than it hurts him. He's the one swinging. But the fact of the matter is that is a truism if you have a loving parent. 
but they are overcoming their natural desire to nurture and care for you, to be easy on you, and to take the easy path, knowing that if they do that, you will be ruined. You will ruin yourself. And they're preventing you from doing that. So before God sends Israel into this punishment, he says, this is going to hurt me. But at the end, you'll be better off for it. In chapter 7, verse 8 of Micah, we read, Do not rejoice over me, my enemy, when I fall. It's a proclamation that they're going to fall. I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord. God is indignant over sin. He's angry. Because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes justice for me. Listen to this. He will bring me forth to the light. I will see his righteousness. You're going to be punished, but you're going to come through better. You're going to see the light. In the Christian walk, in case you just think this is Old Testament stuff and we're beyond that, listen to Paul speak to the Corinthians, not the first time he corrects them, at the very least the second letter of corrections he sent, and historically it might be the third. But listen to this. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us but you are restricted by your own affections. What's happening to you is that you place your affections, your passions and desires in the wrong direction and you are limited from growing because you're valuing the wrong stuff. You're going back into the world of Greek paganism and you're bringing it into the church. Verse 13, now in return for the same... I speak to you as children. Ooh, wouldn't that be feel good? You know, we can read that as a church because I, I think the entire church in the United States of America can be called children. Some of them can be just be called non-believers because there's no Christ there. But there's a lot of immaturity because there isn't much chastening that comes from the church itself and disciplining the people in the church nor from the fellow Christians in the church, one to another. So there's a lot of baby bottles rolling around in the aisles and not much stake because of immaturity. The lack of what Paul is doing to the church in Corinth. I speak to you as children, you also be open. Then he goes on, and I don't have time to go too much farther, but listen to this in verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Oh, I wonder what that means. That means not just marriage. It applies to marriage. Don't marry a non-believer. That's an easy one. This is bigger than that. This don't be so closely associated in what you do and how you're living and where you go and even how you work. Those who are your friends with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? If you're a Christian and you run around with lawless non-Christians, how do you think that's going to affect you in your walk? Well, you're going to fall away. And then you're going to have to be chastened in love. 
And what communion, he goes on to say, has light with darkness? As Christians, we have the light of God inside us. Should we bury that under a bushel? Should we put a sack over our heads and not let anybody know we're Christians and pretend we're just like them? This can be very simple. It can happen so easy. And it doesn't just happen to our young people. Can I have an amen? It happens to older people too. And what accord has Christ with Belial, meaning idols? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? There is a chasm of difference between sons of God and sons of Belial. And your besties need to be good Christians. I must go on. The third key to trainability... The third key to trainability is now refuse to quit, verse 7. Refuse to quit. Listen, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son? Is there whom a father does not chasten? Endurance is the key. We remember back in our study, just at the end of chapter 10, when we were preparing to go into chapter 11, in verse 36, this proclamation was made by the writer of Hebrews in 1036. He said, For you have need of endurance, so that after you, listen, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. How will you get endurance? By enduring chastening. That is one of the ways you make it. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. This is the good news. All sons are chastened. How do I know I'm sons? Well, I've had more lickings from God than you have. So I know I'm in. You know, and I can, I can testify to you that God gives it to pastors even more than he gives it to others. He says in God's word, let not many of you become teachers, for they shall receive the stricter judgment. Boy, I tell you, I wish I'd read that more before I went to seminary rather than after. I went in to seminary with a fear as it was. And I was thankful that I was a little older than most going through. But even so, there was so much God needed to do. There were so many rough edges on me. So many things in my personality, in my character, in my way, and in my pride that God had to bust. It was horrible. No. It was wonderful. And I'm sure he'll do it again. And it's one of the ways I know I'm his. He hasn't failed to put people. You know where this comes from? People in your life. You know what God's favorite thing is? It's having someone come to chasten you who you don't respect. That's a great one. Somebody you think's like Christian non-diplome. Somebody, and they come to you and they point out a sin. And you're like, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, brother. Thank you, sister. That's so nice of you. And especially if it comes with a bad attitude attached. That's even better. Then you can deal with your pride with that. 
that God is faithful. And we're laughing now, and I can laugh on this side of it, but in the midst of it, it wasn't very much fun. All who are not chastened, verse 8 says, are illegitimate. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and sons. So if you've been living in sin, and it's not bothering you, if you've been practicing this, and nothing has happened to you by the hand of God, then this is the determination. Many people want to, how many times have people come up to me, I want to know if I'm a Christian. You know, I'm going to add this to my repertoire of evidence of in or out. Have you been chastened of the Lord when you were in sin? And if you haven't been, and your bones didn't feel like melting, you didn't feel like you were in the desert, you didn't have someone come up to you, a brother in Christ or sister in Christ, someone in your own house, family's really fun when they rebuke you. Amen? Who's from a big family here? Raise your hand. Do you love their rebukes? No, you don't. But if you're mature, you do. A brother or sister come up and tell you right to your face, because they know us, don't they? Yeah, they come up. There you go again. This is just like when we were kids. What's wrong with you? Stop that. That's not Christian. You can dig in your heels and say, no. And if you're a Christian, that means the chastening is only going to get worse. The rebukes will get even better. And if you're not, then you're an unauthorized son. Unauthorized. That's what the word really means. Illegitimate. Not sons. There's a word for that in English. It's called a bastard. Someone might think I just cursed in church. No, it, it has a definition. I mean, someone who has a father who has abandoned them or who has a father who won't own up to having them. Basically, it means you're abandoned. Those of you who are in families with good mothers and good fathers know that you are uh, made aware that you are part of a family unit with blessing when you are chastened in that environment. You got it better because you're looking across. See, I know what it's like to be young. You kids don't think I do because I got gray, gray hair and etc. But I know what it's like. You look at those kids who have parents that never correct them, that let them run all over the place, that every request that they have, it's yes, go do it, or I don't care. And you look at them and you think, wow, I wish my parents were that way. Then I could go out and do the hippie shake shake with them. Then I could go out and run around and have all the fun they're having instead of the boring old life you live. Well, let me tell you what. They're skating as fast down the road to hell as they can get because their parents don't love them. They hate them. They've been abandoned. 
Whenever I hear a parent watching their child start to make a mistake and they say this foolish statement, don't ever let me hear you say this because I will rebuke you. If you say, oh, let them go, they'll learn. That's where I need to step in and rebuke you. You are not put on earth to watch them get hurt and fail and burnt on stoves and walk into streets and get hit and go out partying with the other kids or watching stuff on the internet that they should never have the access to without some culpability. You are responsible to protect them and correct them. And if you're not, you have abandoned your children. Romans 8, 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. How do you know you're led by the Spirit of God? You're no longer giving into the flesh. And it's every desire. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, listen, Abba, Father. We know he's our dad because he's faithful. We know he's our father because he's faithful to correct us and using every resource in our lives to do so. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and this is one of the ways which it does. We're part of the family. We are not bastards. We are accepted by God. Fourth, the fourth key to trainability Respect your father. Respect your father. If you'd like to say coach, that works too, but the father is in the text, verse 9. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? Respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T, not Aretha Franklin, God. Respect. The Greek term, entrepo, entrepo. It means to turn back. It means to turn oneself toward Hence, it has the aspect of respect and reverence or to have regard for. Let me illustrate this. When I'm training a young colt that is not broke, before they've ever had a rope on them, I bring them into a confined environment called the round pen, about 40 feet around. Talk to me. And we put the colt in there with nothing on it. And then I go into the center of that circle with a lariat in my hand. And I just look at the colt. And it looks at me. And then I start to approach the colt. And if that colt turns its rear end to me and its face away from me, I know something just happened and it's called dis respect so I take the lariat and I make it into a snake the horse doesn't know I've made it into a snake but they think I have 
And I just throw it out and it reels out and it touches them in the behinder that they just put to me. And they go, ah! Well, horses don't sound like that. Actually, they're quite quiet. But they start running. And then I just keep doing that as they run. If they try and change directions, I make them go that same direction. I make them go and I make them go and I make them go until I see them do this. Licking their lips. It means they're wanting a new program and they're ready to listen. And then what I do is this. I stop and I take two or three steps backwards away from them. And I wait. If they turn and face me and show me respect, I back up more. So as soon as they give me respect, I take the pressure off. That's how the chastening of God works. As soon as you face up to God, face up to your sin, he takes the pressure off. But until then, you're under pressure. Because if they turn that behinder to me again, wha-pow, and off we go. I move their feet. I make their life miserable. Running around and around and around. Until finally they're ready like, okay. You're the boss. And when they do that, then I start approaching them. And they let me approach them to where I can touch them. But here's the key. If they don't let me touch them wherever I want to touch them, then it happens again. And that's how it is with us with God. God brings us in close. He saves us from all the weight of sin, the burden of carrying that sin is re released you have rest. If you stay next to the trainer, you stay next to him, you have rest. But then he's going to train you in more detailed ways. I get to touch you wherever I want. And he'll find where your sin places are. And when I, as a trainer, touch a sin place, sometimes it's the back foot of a horse. Sometimes they all have one that's their bad back foot. I call it the kicker. That's the one they're going to rebel with. When I touch that one, they don't want me to touch it. And so they disrespect me. They run away, and then their life becomes more difficult. That's how it is with us. That's what's going on. God is teaching us to get rest by letting him touch us wherever and train us however so that we can be useful. Because contrary to the belief of those people who think we're to worship horses, no, horses were made for us, and they only have purpose when they have, hear me now, this is big, purpose. More than just looking out the window at them, not to run free across the prairie, but to be useful to man. And we have been saved with a purpose and put in the family of God with purpose to be sons, and sons work for God. Can I have an Amen. So that's what we're learning, and we need to respect our father and face up to him during discipline because it means respect. We need a proper change of mind toward godly corrective measures. It needs to be like this, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Oh, here we go again. I thought we were done with that already. 
Proverbs 23, 13, do not withhold correction from a child. For if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You know when I'm throwing that rope at that horse, it barely touches him. Someone might think I'm abusing them. It's not hurting them a lot at all. They will not die. I will not run them to death. I'm teaching them to respect me. Also associated with this idea of intrepo is the idea of shame. Shame. When Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, what did they do? Did they face up to God? They ran and hid. Because they were ashamed, they said. Intrepo is the opposite of letting shame rule us. It is to respect God will fix us. And through his chastening, we allow that to change us. Notice 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14, Paul says, I do not write these things to shame you. That's the same word. I don't write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. Notice how he sees himself as the father of the Corinthian church. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I, I urge you, imitate me, i.e. grow up. Again, in 2 Thessalonians to the church in Thessalonica, chapter 3, verse 14. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle. So here's respect or disrespect. If anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be, hear it, ashamed. Listen to the heart of a father. Yet do not count him as an enemy. See, that's where the church needs to learn. Just because someone's off the rails and not following the word of God and has fallen into a habitual sin that we know about, we need to go help that person in that pattern, but not as an enemy. Sometimes we want to kick them all the way out. Oh, no. The only reason we distance ourselves is so we're not pulled in, but we have to go to them and notice this. Don't count him as his enemy, but listen, but admonish him as a what? A brother. Why? Because you're a sinner too. For every son, you will have some shame and sometimes turn your face away from your father in your shame. But it's time to grow. It's time to face up to the reality of what God said is true and quit suffering the chastening. And that means we're in subjection. Obey. It's Hebrews 12, 9 in the latter part says, Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits? Listen to this. And live. Is as the psalmist said in Psalm 119.67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. As the psalmist said in Psalm 25, one of my favorites, this is how we face up to God. We understand who he is, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. And when we humble ourselves, we come to life in him. 
Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it what? More abundantly. If you're living in sin, you're not living good life. You're not living abundant life, and God drives it out with chastening. Psalm 119, verse 17, the psalmist cries to God, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. The keeping of the word is life. Respect submits to God, faces up to God, and takes the rest of God, for his burden is easy and his yoke is light. Finally, and I want to get to this in the last few minutes, and I shouldn't have said last few minutes because now you know I've only got the last few minutes. The fifth and final key to trainability is this, to realize the benefits of training. Realize there are benefits to this training. Verse 10. For they indeed, these fathers who corrected us, for they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, listen, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous nevertheless. Afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Realize the benefits of chastening. Chastening by def definition is paedias in the Greek. A pais in Greece was a small child. The pais had to be trained. And so they would send their kids to school, and the one who would either lead them to school and also sometimes teach them was called the pedagogue. And they went to be trained. And along with that, if you read your history, most of them had a staff. What was the staff for? Correction and training. They used to have a paddle in the school that I attended, Bryant School in Helena, Montana. I was once rewarded for my actions on the playground with another young boy in third grade. We got to go to the principal's office Mr. Wrighty. Mr. Wrighty did not like it if we were wrongies. And as he lectured us, on his desk he had a piece of wood. Looked like a small oar from a boat. The only thing different about this oar is it wouldn't have pulled much water because it had holes about this big drilled all through it. Those actually make a sound. Some things I know, some things I surmise. And it was for our training. We never got it that day. <clears throat> that day. But that scared the you-know-what out of me. And more than that, I was afraid he'd tell my dad. Because my dad had a belt. And it could be on, or it could be off. Can I just go back to respect just one time? I know I'm out of time, but let me just, let me just share a story with you. Some of you know this. 
Some of you don't know about my dad. Some of you have met my dad before he died, but my dad was from the old country, from Germany. He was an immigrant. That's why I believe in immigration legally. My dad was five foot six inches tall, and I don't think he ever broke 135 pounds. I was big from birth. I started lifting weights when I was 12 years old. I beat my father arm wrestling when I was in the eighth grade. About my sophomore year, there were lots of uh, training. I might have been my junior year. I don't know. Either way, the story's good. Mom was telling me to do something. And I had been running around with some of those kids that I told you not to run around with. And one of their words had entered my vocabulary. And mom was telling me to do something I didn't want to do. And I told her I wasn't going to do it. And I used one of them words. Now my little dad was in his lazy boy armchair. In fact, those days he had lazy boy or nothing. That was the best one. But it had this feet thing that you put up with a handle. And all I remember is hearing that sound of that handle going on, ka-ching, and the, and the spring putting that thing back down, boom, and Pop got up in one motion, came over to me, didn't say a single word, reared back and went, and he hit me right in the face. He knocked my glasses flying and hit me harder than I'd ever been hit in my young life because it was a man hitting a boy. I was almost 200 pounds and could beat him arm wrestling and my dad taught me something that day. He taught me respect because then he did say something. In his German accent, he said, don't you ever talk to your mother that way again. And you know what? From that day on, I never have. Now, some of you would say that's not a good thing to, to say in church or to do to your son, but I needed that, and I've thanked my, my dad repeatedly over the years that he got out of that chair and did love me enough to chasten me. By the way, if your boys are bigger than you, don't you worry. You're a man, they're a boy. You put the wumpers on them. Unless you want them to go to hell. It's profitable. It's valuable. It's beneficial to us, to me, to your kids. There's a benefit of holiness. A benefit of holiness. For indeed, for a few days, a chastening has seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. What? Yeah, purity. You got to knock the foolishness out of your kids sometimes. And I'm overemphasizing corporal punishment because in our culture, it has fallen by the wayside, and our kids are growing up. Well, like the generation that is told to us, I believe in Proverbs Chapter 30, it says there is a generation whose teeth are like swords, whose fangs are like knives, 
for devouring the poor off the face of the earth. And as I see these gangs go by and grab a woman's purse as they're on their scooters and drag her and wrap her around a metal post to steal from her, I say, there it is. And unless we want those in our house, we got to do something about it. The prophet is holiness. To be like the father. If you respect your father, you can respect God the father. But it doesn't seem like it's very easy if you don't start with your own father first. And then he states the obvious for no chastening seems joyful at the present but grievous. Amen? That's true. But it yields. This is a harvest picture. It's like planting to receive a crop. Parents, brothers and sisters in Christ, if we want each other to grow, we're going to have to chasten each other a bit. We're going to have to help each other a bit. And we're going to have to face up to it a bit to see there's a benefit of, in the end, it is a reward. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Listen, there's a caveat to those who've been trained by it. So if you're not trained, you keep doing it. No training value. You're still running slow. Let me end. How do we face God's discipline? Perhaps we can face it as we listen to the peaceable maturity of this writer whom I quote now. And so what do I say, he says, and I quote, I say, let the rains of disappointment come. If they water the plants of spiritual grace. I say, let the winds of adversity blow. If they serve to root more securely the trees which God has planted. I say, let the sun of prosperity be eclipsed if that brings me closer to the true light of life. Welcome, sweet discipline designed for my joy. Did you hear that? Welcome, sweet discipline designed for my joy. Discipline designed to make me what God wants me to be. Are you trainable? Realize your potential? Remember your position as sons. Refuse to quit and endure. Respect your father. Realize the benefits of training. Holiness, righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, Father, God, you have taught us to pray through your Son, Jesus Christ, in this manner. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil.
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen.